0: Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. Let's all exhale, all the anxieties, all the catastrophization, All the distorted thinking, everything in between, let's lay it before the Lord. Breathe out. Let's breathe in the peace of God, the guidance, the presence, and the light of God. I'll be reading from Jesus Calling, November 5th. You can live as close to me as you choose. I set up no barriers between us. People tend to think their circumstances determine the quality of their lives, so they pour their energy into trying to control those situations. They feel happy when things are going well and sad or frustrated when things don't turn out as they hoped. They rarely question this correlation between their circumstance and feelings, yet it is possible to be content in any and every situation, put more energy into trusting me and enjoying my presence. Don't let your well-being depend on your circumstances. Instead, connect your joy to my precious promises. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will meet all your needs according to my glorious riches. Nothing in all creation will be able to separate
1: you from my love. Amen? All right, so um, a while back, like, a year and some change ago, I I preached on the topic of God and money, and I thought it would be appropriate to revisit and expand on the previous sermon, especially as folks in the congregation may be starting new jobs, changing jobs, transitioning life stages, all all that jazz. So what I didn't like about the last sermon was that I shared a lot of biblical principles uh, and perspectives on money and giving, but I didn't really offer any practical advice. On money management, um, or actual steps that you can actually take to manage money in a way that glorifies God. So today's sermon is going to look a little like this. Um, I'm going to quickly recap the main points from God and money part one, um, and then try to practically break down the questions that I believe the Bible challenges us to answer. So those questions being what is enough, how should I allocate or steward God's provision for me, and lastly how should I give away the rest. Um, So, next slide. So, bear with me for three slides, we're just going to zoom past these things. So, to revisit what the Bible says about money, I wanted to recycle some old slides, uh, highlighting points raised in the Old Testament by Jesus and the Apostles. So, the Old Testament reminds us that everything belongs to God, that righteousness can be displayed through the generous and fair use of wealth, especially when generosity is offered to the needs of the community and to the poor. So that's, in in a nutshell, Old Testament. Uh, Jesus. Jesus reminds us that wealth has great potential for harm. Uh, Accumulation of wealth is not only a powerful temptation, but causes us to become insecure and self-absorbed. And then uh, the apostles. The apostles teach us how to give specifically calling out our responsibility to provide for the needs of our household and for our relatives and giving freely generously cheerfully to support local ministries and for the needs of the community Um, so in a nutshell those are just one sentence uh, highlights of the old testament of jesus and the apostles teaching on money so next slide and When we talked about how we should use money, I, in the past, I proposed three principles worth considering when managing money. Um, One being stewardship, two being vision, and third being efficiency. And so about stewardship, we're reminded that we're called stewards of God's resources, allocating God's resources with wisdom and taking responsibility for the outcomes of those decisions. Um, Vision. So we need to seek a greater vision of generosity. And blessing that springs from mindset of abundance and gratitude which means we need to continuously refocus our eyes on the generosity that God has shown us and then lastly efficiency because we're responsible for the outcomes of allocating God's resources we need to be efficient using God's resources for maximum kingdom growth all right next slide and then I concluded part one of God and Money with the reframing of a very common money question, how much should I give, to an even more challenging question of how much do I need to keep? And so today I wanna dive into the math of how to actually come up with the number, how much do I need to keep? Because it's one thing to know the principles of giving in your head, but if we've learned anything from going through the various spiritual disciplines, we need tangible practices to broaden our experience of God and strengthen our faith. So one disclaimer before moving on, the message of generosity and of joy, and the joy of giving is not exclusive to money. It's possible that after crunching the numbers that we'll go through, your real needs and obligations require more than your entire paycheck. That's entirely possible with today's wages. So however, our call to be generous stewards remains because God has been, is, and will continuously be generous to us. So we can still be generous, if not with money, then with service, with hospitality, with relationships, et cetera. But if you feel the need that if you feel that your financial situation hinders your generosity, work on your finances. Get out of debt, find ways to increase your income, and in the meantime, be generous with everything else that God has given you. All right. Now we're going to go into the meat of the sermon. So next, next slide. All right, so what is enough? It's unrealistic for anyone to come up with this number without first breaking it down to actual expenses or categories that we spend our money on. So Dr. Wade Pfau, he's a retirement research professor, created four goals of retirement called the four L's displayed on the left column, left column. Um, Longevity, lifestyle, legacy, and liquidity. And these are comprehensive money goals, objectives, or concerns that at some point Every adult will need to think through and have a perspective on these four things right here. And these goals are tied to or defined by corresponding liabilities on the right. Um, And the reason we start with defining goals is because in order to have a healthy relationship with money, wealth has to have a purpose. It cannot simply be the endless pursuit of more. So from top to bottom, the goal or concern of longevity is about how long you will remain on this earth and the cost of essential expenses for that duration of time. So let's say uh, you live to 85 to 100. How much will 85 to 100 years of a bare bones life cost me? And we calculate this by tracking our essential expenses, either monthly or annually, and we project these out to around age 95. Uh, accounting for inflation. And if you find and you'll find that you're able to actually come up with the rough dollar figure, right? Like it's, it's not an infinite amount of money. You can come up with something. Our essential expenses are likely to change when we get older. We may not need to factor in going to Buffalo Wild Wings every Thursday to get buy one, get one wings. But projecting out our current essential expenses gives us a starting point to work with. Yes, those were date nights. Those buy one, get one wings at Buffalo Wild Wings. Anyways, all right, so <laughs> number two, the goal of lifestyle um, is about how much discretionary spending, optional spending uh, or disposable income you would like to have in addition to base living expenses represented in longevity. So this goes beyond the bare bones life of you know shelter, food, water, all that stuff. Um, and unlike longevity, lifestyle is more of a judgment call and will require your integrity and an honest appraisal of whether or not money will get in the way of worship. And compared to the other goals, this goal is likely where we'll experience the most sacrifice, where we will need to lay down our FOMO. Next, number three, the goal of legacy is about how much you will allocate to your children, to charities or other causes post-death. Legacy is typically passed after death, but legacy can also be passed down while you're living. Um, For example, higher education, uh, can be the gift that you pass down to your kids um, and factored into your legacy plan. Consider that as the bucket of legacy. And then finally, the goal of liquidity is about contingency planning or preparing for various emergency expenses that are inevitable in life. So, for example, the loss of income, a major accident happens, medical costs happen, premature death happens. Uh, how much cash is necessary to cover between three months to two years of expenses? Um, and if I have dependents, is there a plan to replace my income if someone, something were to happen to me? Um, this amount will vary depending on your income sources, it's going to vary depending on your dependents, your health condition, and other familiar obligations. Uh, but beyond these, if there's other goals, modify as needed. But the point of thinking through each and every one of these goals or concerns is to come up with an intentional amount, a real quantifiable number that you feel comfortable with that represents real need, but also accommodates a lifestyle that you believe that glorifies God. So for each of these buckets, we need to ask ask ourselves, how much do I need to keep? And when we add everything together, we can finally arrive at what is enough for me and for my household. Why? Because the Bible warns wealth has great potential for both good and for harm. And the alternative is to live unaware of this amount To not set boundaries around the temptation of money and as a result always feel the need to accumulate unceasingly and never feeling comfortable with giving and the accumulation of wealth without restraint without guardrails only increases our sense of entitlement of deservingness and self interest so by setting targets with limits, we put boundaries around the influence of money in our lives, and although these categories are created for a secular audience, I believe that for the Christian. That's intentional about stewarding God's resources. Each one of these buckets need to be par- prayerfully considered. So the amounts of the so the exact amounts of the buckets are going to vary from person to person um, based on your responsibilities, based on your dependence, based on local cost of living. Uh, and those costs are what they are, um, and we adjust accordingly, depending on life circumstances. But when we finally sit down and think through the amount, we're not only able to create a plan around how we're, how we're going to get there, but also gives ourselves an opportunity to joyfully give and bless our neighbors with the rest. Um, when we're intentional about setting boundaries around how we choo- choose to live with God's money, we loosen the grip of material temptation. We make money subservient to God's purposes and mission. All right, next slide. So next question. So, how should I allocate God's provision for me? Or, put another way, how should I responsibly steward God's resources for my needs uh, or the needs of my household? Um, money is inherently fungible, um, meaning that money from any account using any strategy can cover any of these goals. So, at the end of the day, the best I can do up here is steer you to consider money principles that make sense and offer. A more conservative different opinion. Um, Yeah, it's not just GameStop. Uh, According to Dr. Pfau, not all accounts are suitable to reliably and or efficiently cover each goal or concern. So some types of accounts are optimized to cover certain goals and liabilities with less risk. Uh, What does he mean? So we're going to start with liquidity. Liquidity or our cash set aside for high dollar, unexpected expenses, emergencies, or pandemics like the one we just went through, makes the most sense when we can actually access the cash with zero or low friction, like a checking or savings account. We need to quickly and reliably use the cash for purposes of taking care of our emergencies. And so when we put put this cash in risk acts. uh, in risk assets like stocks or crypto to potentially turn a profit uh, we do so at the risk of control access and we likely uh, add in losses um, when we actually need the cash in bad times Um, and when we do and if you consider you know when do bad things actually happen um, they happen in bad markets uh, and when it's typically bad for everyone else. So I wanna say that if you're new to personal finance, uh, building your liquidity or emergency reserve is your first priority. But let's say you've done that. So after you've funded your emergency reserves, then you begin funding longevity and lifestyle. Um, longevity expenses represents, again, projected guaranteed expenses. So if you're gonna live X more years on this earth, it'll cost Y to cover that living, whatever that Y is. And Y is finite. And unless you have someone in your life that's willing to foot the bill for the rest of your life, don't say your kids, it's your responsibility to responsibly accumulate and preserve this amount for the time of retirement. So the challenge presented by this bucket is longevity risk uh, or the potential risk of outliving your savings. So we have no idea how long we're gonna live. So the best we can do is use a relatively conservative age like 95 and plan against that number. Um, And then you'll see from the diagram that Dr. Pfau yeah, in red. Um, recommends only risk-free income producing amount accounts to fund longevity or essential expenses. What does this mean? It means that you pair, guaranteed gen, ger, you pair guaranteed cash flow with guaranteed expenses. Now it's unfortunate that most of us are defaulted in the 401Ks and 403Bs because those use risk acts, assets like mutual funds instead of pension funds. So it's possible to fund essential expenses with risk assets. Yes. Um, again, money is fungible. But is it responsible to take on the risk of loss for from market risk to pay for essential expenses? That's for you to, That's for you to decide. A lot of where people land on this decision is going to be based on your personal affinity for avoidance of markets uh, and investing. It's because of Dr. Fowl's uh, safety first reasoning that I have personally m- dug much deeper into insurance uh, to solve for essential expenses using contracts. But why take on more risk than is needed? All right. Next. Lifestyle or discretionary spending represents optional or nice to have spending, right? Unlike liquidity and longevity, lifestyle targets are not essential. Do I have to eat steak every night? No. And it's because I don't have to have this target amount to live uh, that risks assets can be utilized to fund lifestyle goals. Um, If Bitcoin goes to the moon, sure, I can buy a slightly nice coffee machine, but if it doesn't, I'm not putting my livelihood at risk. Um, Similarly, legacy doesn't have to be a fixed amount. That's allocated to my children or charities so for those that are intentional about passing wealthier kids or charitable organizations you can guarantee legacy through life insurance but for many of you you'll pass on what you pass on upon death and not specifically worry about the amount Um, therefore therefore this goal can also be funded using risk assets or risk free assets so zooming out to summarize to summarize all of that if my emergencies and my future essential living expenses are covered by cash and insurance contracts and my non essential spending and future legacy gifts are covered by stocks and ETFs. I'm less dependent on the market and on investment performance. I am, and more importantly, I don't need to feel pressure to keep growing my assets indefinitely as if my livelihood depended on it. Um, is this the only way? Like I said, no, but it's one it's one that I've reflected on and uh, believe addresses my personal enough. All right, next. So let's say I've come up with the dollar figures. Oh, next slide. Um, To figure, uh, let's say I've come up with the dollar figures for these goals and a rough plan of what account that I plan to use and a schedule of savings uh, to efficiently and responsibly use God's resources to cover my needs. Um, I just need to stick with the intentional savings plan. Um, And sure, I might experience hiccups along the way, but I'm not really taking on any more risk than is needed to reach my goals. And that peace of mind, um, knowing that there's a plan and that God provides enough to meet those goals, allows me to give the rest willingly and with joy. And honestly, when we know what's enough, uh, we get to experience God's abundant provision that's able to overflow from me to others. Um, I bu- I'm able to better see God's favor and generosity in my life so that I can then emulate that generosity towards others. And so once we've sufficiently grappled with the question, how much do I need to keep? We then need to think about... Oh, oh what just happened? We then need to then need to think about what am I doing with the rest of God's resources? And do I feel good about my faithfulness in everything else that I'm doing? So a quick verse that's on the screen, Second Corinthians 9, 6 to 8 says, "'Remember this, whoever sows sparingly "'will also reap sparingly, "'and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. "'Each of you should give what you have decided "'in your heart to give, not, reluct- not reluctantly "'or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So the New Testament teaches us the following about giving. Um, It's the bullets that you'll see on the screen. Giving should be voluntary, it should be done cheerfully, it should be applied towards genuine needs, and giving should be generous or even sacrificial. Giving generously is to give in such a way that God is glorified. Uh, And God is glorified by our giving when we recognize his sovereignty and when we're grateful for his provision and are joyful for the opportunity to serve him. And so now I don't want us to assume that the discipline of giving is one, merely a tithe, or two, done individually. So tithing is not an explicit requirement in the New Testament, but it is an excellent starting point for Christians seeking to honor God through their generosity and a means to learn the joy of giving. And while tithing may not be a requirement, Jesus has never lowered the bar when redefining Old Testament law and commandments. He's always raised the bar, um, emphasizing greater love for uh, for God and for God's people. And so likewise, we should strive for a level of generosity that far exceeds the tithe. And so second, the Christian life is experienced as communal life, and generous stewardship can also be done in community. Uh, not only to advise each other on determining what's enough, but also to collectively direct the money towards opportunities for maximum kingdom return on investment. Um, first, with the local church, because the church is the primary means by which the gospel is shared, and then to other ministries and nonprofits. Now, if anyone has problems with the way that uh, the money is used in church, or sees a need that can be addressed. As stewards, it's our role to actively and responsibly get involved in determining how the church can bless others. The challenge of shared stewardship is radical transparency um, of our personal budget as well as the church's budget. And most of us may not be ready for that level of accountability um, to allow trusted friends and leaders to influence our spending. But I do hope that we are, uh, that as we are entrusted with more money Uh, both individually and collectively as a church, that we keep ourselves accountable to the use of that money. All right, Uh, just final thoughts um, as I invite folks back up here. Um, Our relationship with money and more broadly God's resources is not one that will be solved in a day. We're likely going to revisit this topic as we transition through different phases of our lives, Um, and as need arises. But I hope that by being intentional about drawing boundaries, by defining what's enough, by creating opportunities to experience joy both giving individually as well as collectively, we'll be reminded of God's sovereignty and better live out our call of stewardship. Okay.
2: So I'll stand together. for many of us were probably unaware that the reason Christianity and its influence on western civilization was so dominant was because of this idea of jubilee community commissioned by Jesus Isaiah 61 the Christians were the first ever community to look after the poor the widow, the orphans I mean A thousand years before that, Sparta, who saw a weakly baby, just threw them off a cliff. Today, we have neo-nanomedicine, as X does, looking after sick newborns as the direct influence of the value that God and Judeo-Christianity has put in the idea of the imago Dei in the image of God. This radical form of generosity shown from the New Testament is what changed the Roman Empire, then the British Empire, and now the United States. Now, for a lot of us here, because we're beneficiaries of those principles, a lot of us don't really know the cost. Because for the first four centuries until Constantine, Christians were persecuted even though they lived in extreme poverty, but still gave generously. Even the concept of generosity to us <laughs> in America, I think we don't really understand what the New Testament generosity looked like until you dive in. And I would like next year to really dive into the expressions of that, because I think we're unaware of how powerful the early church was. Amen. So today, I want to invite you to think about the extreme generosity Shown on the cross to you and me. Jesus, and I say this all the time to the American church. I wrote about it and I talk about it for the last 20 years. Jesus did not tithe his blood. He didn't say to the Father, well, God, I did enough. He gave it all. And Jesus said to the Christian, as the Father sent me, I send you. If you want to be my disciple, you have to take the cross. So, Christianity is not prosperity and blessing, but it's also a call to suffering for the sake of love, for the sake of others. So, if you would just bow your heads with me today and remember the cross. You asked a question, How much? I think you have to raise your hands and be like, You have to see Jesus' hands stretched out on the cross from east to west. That's how much we're required and invited to give of our lives. And money is just an end to that. I'm forgiven. So let's look to the cross.
0: I'm forgiven
2: There's a story in the few centuries as the church began to grow in power and wealth and estates. A pope said to St. Aquinas, legend says, we no longer could say silver and gold we do not have because the church grew so much, so dominant after Constantine and eventually became required for you to hold offices to be a Christian, even perfunctory ways. They build beautiful cathedrals that are empty today. And then Thomas Aquinas said to the Pope, neither could we say in the name of Jesus, Nazareth walk. So it seems like there's always a tension between the cumulative power of money that brings dependency on self and self-interest and the loss of the power of the gospel. And for that reason alone, why radical generosity is necessary. Because it unleashes the power of God when we it's not about the resources, it's about the surrender. Right? Salvation, is surrender, but sanctification is war. Now, I'm not saying, let me just pull back and be like, all movements that required their members to give all their money always turn to abuse. Some turns cultish, some turns massive scandals. And 180 will never do that, okay? But that's why we don't have a bucket. There's no bucket being passed around because this is what we found out in early years. You pass a bucket around, people put a dollar. It's like, it costs less than the bucket, you know what I'm saying? Like, in the beginning when we had students, they used to put 50 cents in there. Some put quarters, and we're like, oh my gosh. What is the point of this bucket? And and it, it basically alleviates the pressure publicly to do it, so we don't enforce any of that. We just say, here are the ways. We invite. And if you want to write a check, please don't. Then we have to go to the bank. But also I want to give this sort of the caveat here. I'm not saying don't fly business because I do a lot in the points game. Or don't go on vacation, that's part of the lifestyle. I'm very glad Paul, talked about the lifestyle because that's very important too. You need Sabbath rest. And so as I conclude today, I just want to remind you this tension of struggle and grappling with the material and the immaterial because that's important. Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, but if you do, he says, and then all these things, and for me, all these things include, you know, a nice trip in Europe somewhere sometimes. And that's okay. God doesn't frown upon luxury long it's not 90% of your life that corrodes mission. Or as Paul said today in a very powerful way, lifestyle that erodes worship. That's why we even give you three weeks, like two weeks in the end of the year, not even be at church. You can go anywhere, remote worship. We encourage you to travel. We want you to be world travelers and experience the world. So those are the tensions we're wrestling with. And I I think it's okay to have conversations about this. But we have to remember that there is no line. There's only a model, and the model is Jesus. And so when Jesus says, come follow me, he's saying, surrender at all. Yes, there are boundaries around that, but he's saying he gave it all. And I want you to give it all for the sake of my mission. That can never, ever be compromised. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we come before you today. We thank you for this word. We thank you that unlike cults, that manipulate through coercion. You tell us, Jesus, to seek ye first the kingdom, and then all these things shall be added unto us. We thank you that the miracle of the Acts 2 community wasn't just a spiritual utopia and the tongues of fire that came, but it was that the purse of people's hearts were opened, and the wealthy gave to the needy, and the Bible says that there were no no one in need when you have a love that can change the heart and open the purse you change the world and i pray for some of us who are further along the journey there's some some of you in this room that are very generous living a radical lifestyle for kingdom and your heart is to give more to the mission and i know that for some of you you're beginning your journey But starting these conversations and grappling with these tensions are great ways to be discipled into this journey of radical giving Jesus called us to. Will you bow your heads today for the benediction? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people pray. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.